Welcome to Playing Big, a podcast about what it means to play big in life and in business, and about changing the world with big ideas and big action. I'm your host, Blaine Fyan, Chief Evangelist here at True Footage, and I'd like to welcome each and every one of you to Playing Big. Well, welcome everybody to the Playing Big podcast. The guest I'm going to introduce you to in this episode grew up in my hometown, Grand Rapids, Michigan. He's a two-time Wall Street Journal bestselling author. His books are Amazon-ranked number one in customer relations, number two in workplace culture, number three in sales and selling. He's all about building trust, creating engagement, enhancing reputation, and cutting through the digital noise and pollution. He's the host of one of the most popular podcasts out there on creating and delivering an awesome and memorable customer experience. In fact, it's called the Customer Experience Podcast. Back in 1996, he was building his evangelism skills while working for Microsoft, driving a 70-seat school bus that was converted into the Microsoft Discovery Bus. It was a mobile computing lab, and they visited well over 20 cities, schools, museums, zoos, stores, teaching people how to use Microsoft tools. Since 2011, he's been helping people connect more effectively, convert at much higher rates, build better relationships, and live and communicate more effectively through the use of video. We're going to be talking about customer and employee experience, digital pollution, rehumanizing your business, and human-centered communication. He's the chief evangelist at a company called BombBomb, a company built on the mission of helping people connect at a more human level using video. Ethan Butte, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I always enjoy the opportunity to talk with you. And heck, if we can record it and someone else finds it useful, all the better. Absolutely. Well, you're a straight up pro at this. You've been doing this a long time. As I mentioned, you have the Customer Experience Podcast, which I listen to religiously. I just listened to the podcast today that you uh, put out and and I'm always taking notes and scribbling stuff. You're As I mentioned in the intro, you're a two-time best-selling author. I have the books here. Um, and in fact, uh, I, I will fight for my right to call myself, if not the top fan, at least in the top 10 uh, of you and Steve Passanelli and, and, and your books. I love these books so much that I order them in bulk and I send them to friends and family and clients and they just love them. So we've got um, raving fans all over growing. So let, let's start with that. Tell us about the experience of writing these two books. Uh, sure. They were radically different. Um, I loved both of them. You learn so much. It's obviously as much work as anyone would say, probably even more. It's actually a lot more work, in my opinion, uh, to sell the book than it is to actually write it. But that I think that depends on people's personality types. I, I tend to have been the um, you know, behind-the-scenes kind of guy throughout my career, um, especially prior to BombBomb, where I would put words into other people's mouths as a television marketing uh, writer and producer and so uh, in any case Rehumanize came out of um, just my personal excitement about how far we had come as a company and with our customers and with our broader community really pioneering this movement of mixing some simple personal video messages in along with our typed out emails, our text messages, our social media messages, our phone calls, our in-person appointments, our video calls and all these other touches that we're making there's a huge opportunity for almost everyone working in a professional capacity, and apparently a lot of people you personally know, friends, family, and coworkers, uh, to mix some of these recorded video messages in. We'll get into that in the conversation. So I was just, I hit my six year anniversary. I got really excited about kind of what we had done together as this essentially movement that you, you're a part of. Um, and I wrote a blog post called You're a Pioneer, and I, I decided to go ahead 
and blow that out into an outline and ended up just thinking like, well, why don't I just start writing a book? So I did. And it was, I was probably 10,000 words in before anyone besides my wife or son knew I was working on it. I had no idea how to get a book published at all. So I had to do all that homework. Um, at, at, someone asked me, is this your book or is this a bomb bomb book? I was like, I don't know. I guess I better find out. That's when I wrote Steven and he was really excited about it. So, um, so that's how that one came together. It's kind of the what, why, who, when, and how of uh, video email and video messages. It's essentially uh, a thoughtful, structured, sequential story and success story and example-laden um, walk through, you know, at that point, probably seven or eight years of my work here at BombBomb, things that I've learned by doing it, by interviewing other people, by writing about four or 500 blog posts on behalf of the company, running the social media, like just all this that I had accumulated uh, from the people around me about what this is and why this matters. So that's what Rehumanize Your Business is. Human-centered communication, on the other hand, uh, that was Steve's idea. Mm. He and I were both, you know, we're constantly talking about, you know, where are we with the state of people actually adopting this and using it. And what we were seeing was that a lot of people, especially through the pandemic, although you'll never see the words COVID or pandemic in that book, it absolutely is bigger and broader than that. But, you know, most people got comfortable being on camera, uh, at least on live video calls. But that doesn't mean that they were any good at recording video messages because a lot of people come to this video opportunity and think, oh, this is a hack. This is a trick. This is a silver bullet. This is magic. This is how I'm going to get someone's attention in a world that it's very difficult to get someone's attention. And that's fine. It does work at that level. But if you don't value the time and attention that you're getting by doing things a little bit differently or by doing things in a little bit more of a human way, if you don't make it about and for the other person, then you're teaching them that you're not worth their time and attention. And perhaps because it's video, you might be teaching them faster or in a more memorable way. And so uh, we set out on that journey of what is it about communication in general and live and recorded video communication in particular that makes it really, really effective. And we roped 11 of our expert friends in on it. So chapters 3 through 13 are kind of mini case studies about individual people's business philosophy, um, the role of relationships and human connection in their businesses. Most of them are sales, but we also have marketing. We have an emotional intelligence expert, um, a couple really functionally leadership roles. Um, so we have a variety of people in there. And uh, so you'll get not just our perspective, uh, but you'll get specific strategies and tactics from 11 uh, people that we really, really like and respect and certainly see the world approximately the same way you and I do, Blaine, which is, you know, relationships first, everything else rolls as a consequence. Yeah, love that. And, and I'm sure I have to imagine, Ethan, in this book writing process, these kind of become your babies. Uh, do you have one? Now, no parent would ever say that they prefer one child over the other, but do you have a, a favorite of the two? Um, I, I, I love them both for different reasons. Um, I'm proud of them both. I know that both of them can and have helped a lot of people. Um, I think the more interesting book for me is Human-Centered Communication. Now, I interviewed Steve, um, on the customer experience podcast, and he said something like, "No disrespect to to rehumanize your business, but human centered communication stomps it." Mm. He said literally, "It stomps it." Now, I, I think it's because it's bigger, it's a little bit more philosophical, but again, it's laden with a wide variety of practical ideas. Whereas rehumanizes is, is a a simpler, 
more focused and more structured walk through the what, why, who, when, and how of video messaging. Yeah, so let's go there first and then let's move to human-centered because there's some some things in Rehumanize. I mean, I, my eyes were opened wide and I'm a big fan of and a big user of BombBomb video uh, more every day with true footage and the role that, I, that I'm playing now. Um, I find myself sending uh, maybe half a dozen to a dozen a day, sometimes more. And I absolutely love it, um, the, the feedback you get. So in Rehumanize, what my eyes were open to was a lot of the science behind um, the, the corrupting effects of anonymity. You talk about the dehumanizing effects of plain text communication and that kind of thing. Let's talk about that a little bit to set the stage, if you will. Yeah, I think what you're getting at, and feel free to redirect me, um, is this idea that somehow it's become normalized that we've relied exclusively on faceless digital communication for all of our asynchronous communication. By asynchronous, of course, it's the opposite of synchronous. Synchronous is you and I, Blaine, had an appointment at 3 o'clock Eastern, 1 o'clock Mountain. We had to both be here at the exact same time, et cetera. So that's synchronous. That's our Zoom calls. Mm -hmm. That's our Microsoft Teams calls. That's our phone calls. That's our in-person meetings. Oh, hey, you know what? I'm not good at 2 o'clock uh, tomorrow anymore. Um, could you do 3.30? No, I can't do that. Could you do Wednesday at 11? You know, that back and forth that we all go through to get together at the same time and space. Outside of that, it's somehow become perfectly normal to entrust our most important and valuable messages that are asynchronous, that I'm going to make and send when it's convenient for me and someone else is going to open it up and experience when it's convenient for them, to be faceless, typed out text, that lacks so much of what humans have come to need and want to make good and safe choices for themselves. Human beings are insanely adept at judging intent from one another. I knew, Blaine, you know, when we first started communicating back and forth, that you were sincere. Um, and certainly then we had a breakfast uh, when I was in Grand Rapids a couple visits back. And, you know, my knowing that you are who you say you are, that you believe in the things that you're saying, that you have some interest in alignment with what's good for me. Likewise, you're judging the same thing from me, right? The two criteria that every human being judges every other human being on is uh, they are warmth and competence. Now, different researchers will use different words for those. We're using the words of Amy Cuddy and others who have mm -hmm. studied in this, in this vein, and uh, I think we reference her in Rehumanize. It's warmth and competence. Uh, as a listener, you might be familiar with the phrase, like, people don't know how, care how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm -hmm. And that's to say, I don't care how competent you are, your ability to solve my problem, answer my question, help me out, provide a service or a product, until I know that you care about me and that you're going to be there if something goes sideways. Will you be there to fix it? Will you make good on your promises? All these other things. And so we're constantly making these assessments. And so when we rely on typed out emails, when we rely on typed out text messages, typed out LinkedIn messages, Facebook messages, typed out letters, frankly, for that matter, we're missing all the rich visual and emotional information that human beings need to make good and safe choices. And really to understand that nuance, the, the emotional context, uh, is he serious or is he joking? Is he being passive aggressive? I can't tell. It's just the same black text on the same white mm -hmm. screen and perhaps an emoji punched in, which we also cite research and rehumanize. It says that adds more confusion than it adds clarity. So there are a number of problems with what we've normalized. That's why it seems so overdue uh, for the world at large to adopt video messaging more often.
Yeah, it, you brought up, you said it a minute ago, um, warmth and competence. And uh, I believe it was in human-centered communication you were um, referencing uh, the Daniel Kahneman study that warmth was more important. People wanted to know and Absolutely. see the warmth part before the competence. Right. I don't care how much you know until I know how much you care, especially, and I want to make this specific to, to the types of folks that listen to this, specifically in commoditized markets. And that's no disrespect to anyone in real estate or in appraisal or in, you know, we do a lot of business in mortgage, mm -hmm. we do a lot of business in insurance, financial advisory. These are all commodity businesses. And that, again, no disrespect. It's, it's that I know three people that could provide that service tomorrow. So right. who am I going to use? Well, it's a blend of warmth and competence, but it starts with warmth. Do I like you? Do you like me? Do I trust you? Do you trust me? Oh, by the way, you also happen to make my life easy because you do everything on time and blah, 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 blah. So they, they, they do wrap up together a little bit, but um, I just wanted to emphasize that in markets where there are a number of providers of approximately the same value at approximately the same price, at least from the buyer's perspective, um, because perhaps someone isn't doing a good enough job of making their unique selling proposition or their points of differentiation clear, um, someone has to actually experience it by committing without even knowing in advance that that's the case. So I'm speaking from, a, from an outside buyer's perspective, um, my judgment on who to use is so often a human decision. It's not features, price, benefit. I often share the story of when my wife and I got uh, a new furnace and air conditioning. Our home didn't have air conditioning here in Colorado. Some people say you don't need it. I think they're lying. <laughs> or they just, they're just different creatures yeah. than, than us. And uh, in any case, um, you know, we ended up going with, a, they, they all represented the three main manufacturers right? And all of them are reputable brands of, 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 you know, HVAC equipment. The companies were all well-rated on Google reviews and on their websites, etc. We did all that homework to even decide who to contact. And we ended up going with the slightly most expensive option. There's the cheapy. There's kind of one that was in the middle, but it was, you know, closer to the one that, that was the highest. We ended up going with the highest one. Why? It's because of how the dude made us feel when he was sitting in our home. Mm -hmm. Now, that's crazy. He's not the product. He's not the people that come out and service it twice a year. He's none of those things. He's simply the human embodiment of the brand and the experience. And so, you know, we got that experience with him in our kitchen, sitting down at our kitchen table with us talking about the options and going through, you know, some physical, you know, paperwork and stuff after walking the property. If he had sent us a video, if, if I had gotten video pitches 30 to 60 seconds from all three of them, one of them we would have said, don't even bother coming to our house because he creeped my life out. Yeah. You know, like that's a thing. It's a real thing. And so anyway, um, that's my long way around. Um, you need both, especially when you're in a highly competitive market. Yeah, absolutely agree. And this is a this is a big, important point that I hope appraisers pick up. I've been talking about this for years on the Real Value podcast. I'm a coach in the industry. I've been coaching on this uh, a lot that... Uh, we are essentially in a commoditized business. Um, there, there's very little differentiation. Now, in appraisers' minds, there is, of course, oh, I'm the best, I'm higher quality, I'm this, in our minds. But rarely do we actually ask our clients and customers what they think. Uh, and so this is an important point to understand what commoditization means, what that process is. And as you pointed out, it's essentially when all things are equal, you know, the principle of substitution comes into play. If all things are equal, price is going to be the differentiator essentially. And typically, they'll choose the, the cheaper one, 
until something puts that commodity up above everything else. That's essentially what you're talking about. And relationship, and in this case, video, uh, is an important differentiator or can be for moving something out of the commoditization category and into something that's more valuable. Do you agree? Absolutely. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, I think a lot of people um, feel like they are differentiated. So when they're, you know, on the spot, um, you know, in a group setting, perhaps, you're like, yeah, we're definitely... But you take 10 people... Let's just keep it with appraisers. You take 10 appraisers and say, what makes you different? I guarantee if you got the top three answers from 10 different people, the overlap between those across all 30 responses, right? 10 people each giving their top three reasons that they're different or better. Um, the overlap between them all is going to be incredible. And that's another reason that more videos should be mixed into the process mm -hmm. is that so many of the qualities that you want people to associate with you shows up on time, does a great job, is reasonably priced relative to the source, is incredibly thorough, um, is creative, asks good questions. You know, any of these things, so much of that is demonstrated rather than said. And in fact, the more you proclaim it, the less people are going to believe it. Because these are things like, you can't go around telling people how trustworthy you are. And in fact, the more you do so, the less trustworthy right. you seem. When in fact, it's, it's a process of demonstrating it someone experiencing that perhaps even as a feeling not even as a conscious thought and then associating that with you and starting to say that back to you that's why i love your recommendation to talk to more customers more often hey this is the third time you've used me um you know just this month you know that's you know typically we we're doing like one or two a month you know prior to that you know what's the difference um you know find out what actually you're demonstrating through some and it might be intentional it might be unintentional and that lot that that real feedback from other people gets into this zone of things that you want people to know or think about you that can only be proven or experienced by demonstrating them not by saying them i often say classy if someone if someone declares themselves classy they're probably not that's the kind of thing that someone else is going to assign them that's right that's right uh, yes, unique categories that way that we have to let them decide if they believe we're trustworthy, if they believe we're classy. They get to decide. And ultimately, they're the consumer. So, of course, they get to decide. Um, at, at the end, near the end of Rehumanize, I mean, the whole book is about relationship, essentially, which I absolutely love. I always say I'm a relationship guy, meaning I, I coach and teach on that because I think it's one of the most important differentiators is building that relationship, especially in a commoditized business or industry. Um, you say on page 177, we thrive face to face. Our highest purpose is to be in relationship with other people. One of our deepest needs is to connect with others. This uh, deepest need to connect with others. How do we do that in business, especially if it is a commoditized business or industry? Yeah, I, a couple couple key ideas. I, again, I don't know why we're here. There are a variety of uh, religions and philosophical systems that have tried to answer the questions of, you know, why are we here and how are we supposed to live? And there are a number of divergent ideas across those systems of thought. But the one thing they all agree on is the golden rule, which is treat others as you prefer to be treated. And in that, when um, we bring that up in human-centered communication, but, you know, in that we see it is about us and the other. At some level, we are one and the same. We are a social species. We are brought to life through one another. Um, and 
all of our success is built with, through, and for other people. And, you know, even the most hardcore um, solopreneur that's listening to a show like this, you know, like, yeah, you did, you know, quintessential, pulled yourself up by the bootstraps, you built this thing from nothing, you still did it with and through and at some level for other people. We all want to be seen and understood and appreciated. We all want to be valued as unique individuals. Like this is the foundation of trust and trust is critical to social relationships. I know I'm talking around and around and around. I'm just saying if you break, if you look at your business and what's gone really, really well, what's gone really, really poorly for people that have been in the business a long time, because this is kind of a, a you know, a cyclical ebb and flow type of business there are you know we've been on a really nice long run and it's certainly in terms Mm of um you know uh supply and demand i see several good years ahead kind of no matter what happens with rates in general um because there's just so much demand relative to the supply so good news it's in a flow state but there's going to be an ebb and and people that have been in the business a long time have seen that ebb relationships are what get us through relationships are what take some of the waves and the chop out of the journey so that we have people we can rely on that we can still get that referral business that we can still seek insights and responses even relationships with your customers to understand what is it about me um, I need to re-articulate my value proposition for people that don't know me as well as you do. What's unique about the way that I do this with you? How does it help your clients? How does it reflect favorably on you? Um, why do you continue to choose me? Like even that is a relationship-based ask. And so, uh, none of us does this alone. Even someone that fashions themselves as doing it alone. And not only does that make our businesses more healthy and successful, but it also makes the work more satisfying. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and, you know, you, you guys talked a lot about, as I mentioned, relationship in, in Rehumanize. Um, and, and you said uh, in there, too, that, and I hadn't really thought about this point, but we live in an, we live in an age when it's never been, the, the, the choices we have for connecting are vast. Yet you guys say, and rightly so, it's never been harder to connect deeply. So with all of the options we have to connect, the irony is that it's never been more difficult. And and I think this leads into probably uh, a good segue into digital pollution. That's probably part of it. Um, w- would you say that's one of the big reasons it's so difficult to connect? Absolutely. I think there are two main dynamics. One is digital pollution. We'll jump into that in a moment. Um, the other one I think is, is it, we're training ourselves not to be present. And I think that's why you're seeing more uh, business books and lectures and, uh, you know, pieces written about um, presence and mindfulness. And I know that, that can sound a little bit softer, woo-woo to a lot of people, but just the ability to be present with another person, not thinking about something else, not picking up your phone, actually looking someone in the eye and listening to them and listening not to respond, but listening to understand, listening to ask another follow-up question. Like that human to human experience is so rare and it's going to become increasingly rare because so many people are training themselves to be um, attention weak. And by that, I mean, I don't have the muscle to focus my attention on another person on this live interactive engagement. I am looking off at my screen. It's certainly bad on like Zoom calls and things when you have like eight people on a Zoom call, like half the people aren't even paying attention. Yeah. And we're training ourselves. And so this is the challenge of it. 
We're training ourselves that that's what's normal. And so the more we can simply look someone in the eye and be present with them, interested sincerely in them, uh, the more successful we're going to be at creating powerful moments that people do not forget, that make people feel valued, that help you understand the business situation better, and help you be of more more value and service. And, and ultimately, that's a net win um, for your life and for your business. Now to digital pollution. That's a name that we gave. Steve's short definition of that, um, and again, Steve is my uh, co-author. We've known each other for a decade. We've worked together for seven years here at BombBomb. He's our chief marketing officer. His short definition on uh, digital pollution is uh, uh, unwelcome digital distractions. Um, something we don't really need or want in a digital message or experience format that is distracting us from what we really need and want to do. This is that crappy email. You thought you unsubscribed, but here it is again. This is you being in that group text message, even though you didn't ask to be. You pick up your phone and there's like 82 messages. Like, what happened? Mm -hmm. um, and it's like someone put me in a group message that I just don't really need or want to be in. Um, it's also phishing and malware and cyber attacks. It's spoofed email addresses. It's your friend. I've seen like four of these in the past week. People are like, hey, if you get a new friend request from me, if you get a new follow from me on Instagram, that's not me. That's someone who literally stole all my photos, posted them probably with a bot, but you know, um, posted them as a new account and is going out requesting or following all the people that you are following. It's just like this really just weird annoying, frustrating, confusing, threatening stuff. Is this email from who it says it's from? Is this link safe to click? Is this attachment safe to download? All these things that slow us down, confuse us, and frustrate us. And it makes us exhausted going into our inboxes or going into social media. And so with this volume of noise, which we regard as relatively benign, that's just the sheer volume of stuff to look at and process. Mm -hmm. And the volume of pollution, which is unwelcome and distracting, um, it's really difficult to get attention, even if we deserve it. I don't know how many times you've said or heard in the past, let's say, month, Blaine, um, oh, you didn't see it yet? Uh, go look in your spam folder. Right? Yeah. Like, even the stuff we want, we can't get because there's so much of it, and the machines and the people are trying to figure out how to deal with it all. And so um, there's this ever-increasing amount of pollution, so it makes attention very difficult to get. It means we need to reward it more than ever to, to let people know, you are really glad you opened this email. You're really glad you read this post. You're really glad. Like that's, what, that's how we should be thinking before we hit send or hit post or whatever. Likewise, um, it also makes trust more difficult to build. And the science very clearly supports that trust in digital environments and in digital relationships or largely digital relationships um, is always... Uh, decomposing. It's falling apart literally day by day. That's why we need to replenish these digital relationships within person moments. We need to make the trouble to get in our car and go see them now and again if that relationship matters because those virtual relationships degrade over time uh, just again from a human experiential perspective. And so digital pollution sucks. There's so much of it. I think everyone can relate to it. When I bring this up in like an open conversation format, everyone has five examples. Um, I shared a couple kind of in a vague sense. And so you know what that is. But the most important thing to know is even as a business operator or a business owner who is sincere, thoughtful, careful, you're not spamming people, you're not cold calling 85 people a day to generate business. 
if that works for you, that's cool. That's totally fine. You just have to know that a lot of people aren't going to receive it well, and you're potentially creating a negative experience associated with your your company name and your personal name, um, which is for you to decide if that math is going to work out. But um, you know, in the face of all this volume, we need to reward attention. And everyone's confused and frustrated most of the time. So let's make it easy for people to say yes. I love the, the, the phrases. I'm writing them down right now. Rewarding attention. That's powerful. Yeah, yes. how about this? Ready? It's just one yeah. more on that. ROTA, R-O-T-A. We so often talk about ROI. Return on our investment. Um, Let's just accept intuitively that ROI is in part a consequence of us honoring ROTA, return on time and attention. If we value other people's return on the time and attention we're asking for and that they're kindly giving us because it's the most precious thing they have, then we need to reward it. That's what I'm saying. Like, you know, showing up in people's inboxes or in their voicemails or in their social feeds and not rewarding even the five seconds that they give you, you're, you are teaching them that you're not worth their time and attention. Humans are pattern-making machines. They learn that very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. And this is the other interesting layer when we're digital, is that the machines are tracking everything that we do. Yeah. That's why you can become friends with somebody on Facebook or LinkedIn, and if you don't like or comment on any of their stuff, within a matter of days or perhaps weeks, they disappear, and it's like you never connected in the first place because because they want to help manage your time and attention. Now, some people put a negative spin on that and say, well, they're just trying to monopolize your time and keep you in the platform. That's true. What they're really trying to do is value your time and attention and say, you know what? We served you up eight things there. You liked and commented on these two. We're going to try to give you more things like that. Um, so if, if we're not aware of that as a dynamic, then we're going to miss opportunities to um, build healthy digital relationships with people. Sorry, I stopped you. Return on time and attention is what I wanted to say there. I love it. Yeah, it's going to be uh, one of my new four-letter phrases I'm going to use all the time. And I believe, um, I can't remember if it was in Rehumanized or Human-Centered, uh, talking about the, the difference between return on investment and return on relationship, or ROR. Yeah, that was in uh, Adam Contos's chapter. That's yeah. what it was, yeah. Um, and I, I'd done podcasts on it before. It's an actual metric in digital marketing, things like that, return on relationship. But there's also this soft edge, soft side of the, the idea of return on relationship, right? I mean, this, this idea that it, it shouldn't be all about the metrics and the hard numbers. What is the actual return on the relationship, which puts the focus on, are we actually building relationships? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's that our ROI is uh, transactionally minded. If I put a dollar in the machine, do I get a dollar and five cents out? Do I get a dollar and 75 cents out? Or I do, do I get 92 cents out? Um, and it's highly transactional. The fact of the matter is the best deal might be the one where you put a dollar in and get 92 cents out because that 92 cents is going to co- compound in such a way that it's going to be worth way more than that dollar 75 because yeah. they're going to stay they're going to do more for you they're going to bring other people you know all these other things and so this you it's hard to have an ROI conversation without at least having uh, having it layered with the uh, intuition and nuance and really past performance of of return on relationship yeah i love that um, I, I had never heard that kind of example with math applied to it. So I love that uh, th- that that 
hard aspect is there. The idea of putting a dollar in and only getting 92 cents back, which initially could be taken as a negative. We lost money on this. But when you factor in the long-term and the compounding effect, super, super powerful. I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, yeah. Digital pollution, what does it mean to be human-centered? Yeah, human-centered, what we did with human-centered communication is we essentially blended two phrases. One we're all familiar with, which is digital communication. That is all the communication we're doing that is, at this point, almost everything except for face-to-face. Um, true in-person face-to-face. And, uh, and we're blending it with human-centered design. Now, human-centered design is a 30- or 40-year-old practice. Um, it's a design standard or principle. The foremost practitioner and adherent and advocate of human-centered design is a, a design firm called IDEO. And they've designed over the decades all kinds of systems and processes and products and services using human-centered design principles. And I'll share three of them in just a moment. I think I hope people will find them interesting. Just as a point of reference, though, they designed the first Apple mouse decades ago using human-centered design principles. And that was more of an ergonomic exercise, the physical size of the hand, how it should move, how it should be positioned relative to the body, what it means to like just the things we take for granted about using a computer mouse these days, like mm-hmm. someone, you know, they applied these human-centered design principles. But more recently, they they applied it to water systems in Africa, which was a much more complex um, situation. Um, you know, how does this work with the, the household? How does it work with the township? You know, how you know, all these, you know, all the things in like a more complex. So you can apply this to anything. Is my point. And so we're applying it to uh, our daily digital communication. And the three criteria um, that make up a human-centered design are um, desirability and the needs of humans. What do people actually need and want, right? So you can think about that in terms of a computer mouse or a water system in Africa or anywhere else for that matter, or an email that you open or a scroll on your social feed, right? So desirability, the needs and wants of people. What do people actually want? What do they desire? Then there's feasibility. What does technology allow us to do? Um, What are we capable of doing with the technology available to us? And then the third one is um, viability, the definition of business success. So desirability, feasibility, and viability. And it's really important to keep viability in mind because I'll say you could undertake human-centered communication or human-centered design simply on moralistic or altruistic uh, grounds, right? It's just the right thing to do because it helps people more. Um, but it also needs to be viable. Our privilege of doing it, our privilege, yours and mine, Blaine, just hanging out and being in conversation with each other, it, it's a requirement that this is part of our business success. And so, um, you know, if this isn't adding value to the business, your ability or my ability to podcast on behalf of our teams and companies is limited. So yep. we need to consider the viability and the definition of business success. The problem is, When we design most messages or experiences or systems or processes, we start with viability. We say, okay, what do we need and want? How many appointments? How many calls? How many replies? How many deals? What revenue? Et cetera. Then, instead of going to what what do people actually want, we go to feasibility. We say, what does technology allow us to do? And we'll, gosh, technology is super powerful and less expensive than ever before. And it's both of those things are moving very quickly. It's getting more and more powerful and less and less expensive. and most people stop there. And so we wind up doing these things that are overly mechanical, overly robotic, 
overly automated that don't value the people, not just that it's for, right, our customers or our prospects, which is just ludicrous on its face that we would overlook that opportunity, but so often it's often bad for the people executing it. So you'll read in um, chapter eight with Lauren Bailey or chapter nine with Mario Martinez Jr. Some of the negative consequences of our own team members executing these, you know, sales and marketing and even service strategies that start with the business's needs and go to what technology allows. And then it's like, go do that. It's essentially a modern day assembly line. It's like kind of a dehumanized process. So what human centered design calls for is not just to balance those three, but to start the process with the needs of people. And we all know this is intuitively true. If we design the system to be a benefit to the people who it's supposed to help and the people who have to execute it, of course it's going to go a lot better. The results are going to be better. And so a simple way to think about this is if we stopped sending out prospecting emails and then wondering why he didn't open this email or why she didn't return my phone call or why he didn't you know, click the link and fill out the survey, if instead of being reactive and backward looking and thinking about our own disappointments and instead thought before we ever typed a word or recorded a second of video or picked up the phone and dialed, thought, why would he open this? Why would she engage with this? Why would he respond? And in that way, we're just shifting to putting the needs and wants of other people on an equal footing or a level playing field as our own needs and wants because our success comes when we help and serve and value other people. And I know that sounds a little bit high-minded. I know we need to hit our revenue numbers. I know we need to run our businesses profitably. But if we're honest with ourselves, if we're not operating in the service of our team members and our employees first, what good is everything else? How sustainable is it? How, good, how much more profitable could it be if people actually wanted to hear from us, wanted to engage with us, wanted to make these calls, wanted to show up on these appointments, both as the person, um, you know, showing up as a prospect as well as the person showing up as a rep or as a, you know, someone pitching the opportunity. And so um, putting the needs and wants of, of other people first and thinking about what's good in it for them. Um, again, could be done altruistically, could be done moralistically, but really there's a business case to be made that that is the way forward because people are pattern making machines. They're looking for a return on their increasingly limited time and attention and the machines are following how they're behaving. And so if we think we can just throw garbage in front of people and think that it's going to continue working for us, we're fooling ourselves. Uh, we need to value them and give them things that they need and want so that they learn that we are worth their time and attention that the machines that are tracking them say, oh, I'm not going to sequester this over in that secondary or tertiary folder. Um, I'm not going to bury this in the in the news feed. I'm going to put this first and foremost because this person uh, seems to like what this other person's providing. Yeah, all about earning that attention, right? It's, uh, you know, er earning the right to their attention. And you, and you mentioned um, in that explanation, by the way, you'd be pushing at an, at an open door um, talking to me about this because I'm all about this, but I'm so glad we're having this conversation so that others can hear this. You mentioned in that uh, our team members, which is the internal customer and client, as well as the external. Can we talk a little bit about CX and EX? In that yes, regard? absolutely. I'll keep it really simple. I used to say it uh, this way. Um, it's really difficult to impossible to create a remarkable customer experience without first creating a remarkable employee experience. I'll say it the way one of my more recent guests, uh, a woman named Elizabeth Dixon, who is the head of uh, service and uh, design 
at Chick-fil-A said, your customer experience will never be better than your employee experience. That's even simpler, so I'll say it again. Your customer experience will never be better than your employee experience. That's to say, there's no way, let's just say you're a team of eight people. There's no way that if six of your team members just are like, ugh, here we go again. And the end of Monday, this sucks, here we go. Or, my gosh, it's Wednesday afternoon, I've only got two days left of this, you know, till the weekend, like literally mm -hmm. working for the weekend. You know, how can we expect people to drag themselves into these roles that, that, that aren't satisfying or fulfilling, um, where the culture is not right, where we're not mutually supportive, where we're not celebrating the wins, um, but we're definitely taking the opportunity to, defer, to, to make highlights out of petty, punitive moments, um, you know, these kinds of things. How are they supposed to show up to our customer, for our customers, and go above and beyond answer the question, get in front of it proactively, solve the problem, not push it off to somebody else. Hey, that's, you know, kind of like the, that's not my job thing, right? All these little things that confuse and frustrate. I don't know who my point of contact is. I just know that I paid you for this and I have a question about it. Help me out, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, if we're not recruiting, interviewing, selecting, making offers, Hiring, onboarding, equipping, training, coaching, developing, yeah. perhaps if it's earned, promoting um, our team members in a thoughtful manner. It's going to be really, really hard to create a truly differentiated experience. The other thing I'll say about CX or customer experience in particular is that it's increasingly critical in a commoditized market, something we've already talked about in this conversation, the more you look like on paper and on Google reviews and on your homepage, like your competitors, price about the same. Graphic design, about the same. Promises of value, about the same. Um, it comes to whether they come back again and whether they bring anyone with them, whether they write that online review, whether they bring you a referral, completely depends on the experience that you provide for reasons we've already established. The demonstration that you are honoring all the things that your website says or all the things you said in your sales presentation or all the things that you promised on the phone, whatever the case may be, you have to demonstrate those things, demonstrating them and people going, oh, that is, now they might not say it consciously, but this is what they said it was. He did what he said he would do for the fourth time this week. This is all happening exactly as I hoped. I don't have any concerns or worries or hiccups, right? Now, people aren't saying these things consciously. They're experiencing them in positive feelings like, I don't have to worry about this thing. I get to go worry about these other things. This person's getting the job done and taking care of business. Um, that experience is what produces all the other good results that turns that 92 cents into $2.10, I guess, to call back on that thing. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, it, it all comes through experience. And so this idea that we can um, shortcut how we treat our employees and how they're equipped to be successful every day and how we celebrate the small wins and the big wins that they have with us, the way that we make them feel acknowledged and appreciated, especially in the competitive hiring market, goodness knows that seems to have struck every single industry over the past eight to 12 months. Um, it's foolish to think that we could take shortcuts on the internal stuff and still somehow come out ahead out in the market at large. And so your customer experience will never be better than your employee experience. 
So we should invest there. And there's a number of reasons. There are a number of studies that we put um, in. I believe it's chapter five, uh, where we really draw uh, of human-centered communication, where we really draw out that um, CX-EX relationship. Yeah, amazing. And, and I, if correct me if I'm wrong, it was uh, an episode of the Customer Experience Podcast with the Chick Fil A. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I'm forgetting the number, but um, we'll post it in the- 179, uh, the Elizabeth 179. Dixon. perfect. Yeah. Elizabeth Dixon, love it. Um, yeah, great. They're all great. Uh, but I, I remember that one specifically. We've been studying Chick-fil-A for years now, and why wouldn't you? I mean, any any organization that can get 14 to 16-year-olds to say, um, absolutely, it's my pleasure um, when you say thank you instead of no problem is doing something right. They know uh, customer, they know CX from the inside out, CX and EX. Uh, and those are terms that we want people to, to, to fully embrace. The customer experience is an important aspect. I'm, I'm, I'm imagining um, companies taking it really seriously to map out that whole customer journey, right? From, from research to um, after the sale or after the, the relationship has begun, uh, there, there has to be a whole journey that's mapped out to make sure we're touching all those points and removing friction um, and making it a memorable experience. Yeah, just to make it like super obvious for people, just think about this. So you have Chick-fil-A, you have, depending on where you're listening, uh, Raising Cane's, you have Popeye's, um, you have some Chick-fil-A menu items like McNuggets at McDonald's. Like product is at some, just at some basic level, it's chicken that's treated in some yeah. particular way, probably breaded and fried, right? So it's about the same thing, but we know just in those three restaurants, Popeye's, Raisin Cane's, Chick-fil-A, people have very different associations with each of those brands. Now you might say, oh, the seasoning on this one, blah, blah, blah. You know, you can get into the product. The, the point to think about here is that it is very different to walk into one of those stores versus the other. It's very different to pull up at the drive-thru and engage at the speaker and at the window. Um, I've even seen, there's a Chick-fil-A that opened up in our neighborhood and I often walk by it and that line is out on the street and Always. we have people out taking orders sometimes on paper, like to get ahead of the line. Anyway, my point is product offering, yeah, there are some nuances, but they're all priced about the same. Chick-fil-A probably maybe even has a price premium on it. I don't really mm -hmm. eat at any of those restaurants regularly enough to know the differences, but you know, let's just say they're about the same product with some nuances. They're about the same price with some variation. It's dramatically different to walk into one of those stores, and that's the difference that the experience piece makes. Sometimes it's tangible, like the seasoning on the chicken. Sometimes it's intangible, like just what it feels like to be in this space. How am I made to feel? What is the emotional resonance I'm left with? That's one of the reasons. I know we're, I don't know how long this podcast is normally, so I don't I don't need to like press press too hard. I'm like sharing another story. Okay, so um. You know, there's a there's a grocery store, like mainstream store, um, grocery store, about five minutes from our house, and my wife was increasingly frustrated with it. Just like lights are dim, people aren't nice, they're not very helpful. It's not like stocked or organized that well. And there's another grocery from a different like chain. You know, it'd be like um, anyway. I don't, don't need to draw parallels, but. Um, it's like 12 to 15 minutes from our house, more two to three times farther away from our house. And we go there every week together now on Saturday mornings at about 6 a.m. when they open. We go out of our way because the lights are brighter, the ceilings are a little bit higher, the people are always available to help, stuff is stocked well. Like, there's no difference. They're both like 
pretty average grocery stores, but it, it was just frustrating. It made my wife feel like she wasn't important because of the way people treated her, the way they treated the store, the way they lit the store, etc. That's all experiential. You can get a loaf of bread anywhere and it's going to cost about right. the same. You can get a gallon of milk anywhere, you can get a bunch of bananas. It's all about the same, uh, but there's an experience element. I just wanted to share that with people that aren't familiar with the idea of customer experience. It is the differentiator. What does it feel like to be your customer? What does it feel like to be your team member? EX and CX are critical to your long-term health. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that. Um, and, and I want to pull another quote from uh, one of the books. I think it was Rehumanized because in, in all of these industries, as we're increasingly digital, um, humans are being pulled out of the process and being replaced by digitization and bots and AI and machine learning, those kinds of things. And you guys said something, or you said something, don't assume that consumers will always prefer to pay to have a human in the process. Contribute in such a way that they want the human even at an additional cost, which is an extremely valid point in the appraisal industry, and I'm sure it crosses a bunch of different industries. Don't assume that people prefer to have a human in the process. Make them want you there, essentially. Yeah, and another layer to that is, because we all need to be honest with ourselves, we add cost to our businesses. So are we worth more than the cost that we're providing? And is the customer willing to pay that difference that we bring to it. And um, I don't know that we go out of our way enough because a lot of like, you can do this without being braggadocious or egocentric or obnoxious about it. We need to make sure that we're clear what value we're bringing and that we're communicating that value internally and externally. So I am not a natural self-promoter. That's why I'll say something like I found it historically easier to write a book than to sell a book. Um, it's just not a natural posture for me. But I do take care because I'm in kind of an interesting role here at the company. I do take care to share in a group setting some of the things that I'm working on and how it specifically produced business. I just got an email right now from someone that says, hey, Ethan, um, I was just kind of soft promoting BombBomb to, a, to an account. It's a, it's a consultant. I was just soft promoting BombBomb to an account. They're very, very, based on what the videos I've sent them and what they've said, they're very interested in 30 seats with you all, like a team of 30. Um, who should I connect them with, right? I want my team members to know that I am bringing very warm leads to our sales department through the relationships that I'm building doing things like this, right? Yeah. Um, because my, my value isn't always clear. And, um, you know, I'm not a zillionaire, but I feel like I get paid reasonably well for the work that I do. But at some point, you know, someone might take a look at everything and say, ah, oh, you know, I need to cut some expenses. Who's going to go, right? Because people tend to be some of the most expensive uh, aspects of our business now that everything's been digitized. So we need to find ways to demonstrate our value to the people that we're working with and to remind people that we've done it. It's okay to tell a customer, hey, you remember when I told you that blah, blah, blah? And then you remember when blah, 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 blah? There you go. That's what I mean when I say X. You know, when I say we're different in this way, that's what I'm talking about, right? So it's okay to let people know that you added a particular, I'm using value just kind of in a generic way here, that you added a particular layer of value that either A, proves that you do what you say you're going to do, or B, 
lets people know that you are worth being in there to mitigate risk, to help out, to accelerate the process, to remove barriers, whatever, in a way that you know AI or machine learning or a bot can't do. We've all been on a website where we're like, my God, I just want to get my question answered. And the stupid yeah. chatbot is so dumb that you're in this loop and like you never get anywhere. You're just like, there's no, like, and we've been on that that way on a phone menu too where you're like spamming zero. Um, and there were like rage click um, detectors that will immediately route you to human beings. And so it, it's that kind of a thing. So if you are making things better and easier for people, A, that's great. But B, don't be afraid to be clear in yourself and to find reasonable opportunities to communicate to other people exactly what role you're playing um, to make you understood in a very intentional, conscious way as indispensable to the success of this particular outcome and outcomes to come in the future. Yeah, love it. Is, is that really a thing, the rage clicking? Oh, yeah, absolutely. No kidding. Yeah, no and if you like, there there are tools that will like do heat maps on like where people are engaging with websites, eye tracking, yeah. and other stuff, and you can see where people are rage clicking. We use a tool that monitors how people are um, uh, interacting with the app uh, on like our, our web app. We have a web app and and mobile mm -hmm. apps and other things you can log into. And rage clicking is something that you can just like say, I want to see all the rage clicks in the past week. And then you can see like where people are confused and frustrated and then work to solve that issue, right? And so what's the equivalent of a rage click in your business is a good question to ask too. Like where does someone go like, no, I just want, I just want, I, I just, you know, da -da. you know, that's yeah, the rage yeah. click. Yeah. Great questions to be asking, right? It's just like the, the, what we were saying earlier at the beginning about uh, appraisers, for example, um, you know, always thinking that they're the best in their market, but they never really ask their clients and customers uh, these questions about what, what is the, what's the friction in the system for you getting that feedback. And then, as you said, the key is fixing it, making it frictionless. Or yeah. And to the rage click example, when you have an amazing experience yourself, you're like, my gosh, that was the best dining experience I've ever had. Or my gosh, I've taken my car in for what seems like a thousand oil changes, but this one was different. Like, take care to note to yourself, what was different about that process? What is um, just the, the, when I realized the Amazon return policy of like open box, just drop it off at the UPS store and they, they see you on the way in because you're carrying a box that's open mm -hmm. or something and you just hold up your phone and they scan the thing and they're like, okay, we got it from here. Like those types of experiences, when you notice something remarkable, new, different, it's like, okay, what is the equivalent in the work that I do? Because the parallels are everywhere and your customers aren't comparing you to your competitors. At some level they are, but just as often they're comparing you to everyone else that they're doing business with. And those yeah. stakes are high. He, a super important point. And again, uh, I think it was in Rehumanize that you talked about this, that uh, people aren't comparing you to your competitors. They're comparing you to the next five, six, seven experiences they're going to have throughout the day and how this one went. And that's the way we get rated, which is mind-blowing yet eye-opening. Don't we don't compare ourselves to our competitors. We can't be thinking that way. We have to be thinking about all the other experiences our clients and customers are having throughout their days, weeks, and months. That's what we should be essentially competing with and building our systems around. And how can we be the best at that? Ethan, you have spent an inordinate amount of time with me um, over the last couple of years. Certainly today on this podcast, I wanna acknowledge that you're always super, super helpful. 
I really, really appreciate that. I appreciate our friendship and um, you always making time for me and now for us uh, at True Footage and the Playing Big Podcast. We have two things that we always end the show with. One is, um, how can people play big? This is the Playing Big Podcast. In your opinion, how can listeners play big? Um, I'll double back on something that I was saying before. Challenge yourself to be more present in more moments. This could be with your child. It could be with a prospect. It could be with a team member who's trying to explain something to you. And you're just like, oh my gosh, not this again, right? Try to be present with other people. Look them in the eye. Listen to understand, not to respond. I've been part of this, partly a confessional, by the way. This is what I'm trying to do more often. Um, And that is going to provide big, big value in the future, period. Because that human-to-human experience where someone feels valued and appreciated in a way that a machine cannot, only a human can give that to another human, is going to be increasingly rare and therefore increasingly valuable because it's one of the most basic human needs. And so if you want to play big, really value other people by being present with them. And I don't mean that in a soft way. I just mean look them in the eye, listen, stop letting your mind wander, stop picking up your phone, stop looking at your other screen, focus on that person, give them your time and attention. You'll learn more, they'll feel more valued, and better things will happen over the long term. I absolutely love that. Uh, As is custom on this show, because we are about relationships, we uh, make a donation. Uh, on behalf of, of every guest. So who, who can we donate on behalf of Ethan Butte? Uh, Feeding West Michigan or Feeding America West Michigan. Um, I'm on the board of directors at the uh, Feeding America Food Bank here in Colorado Springs. They serve the entire southern half of the state, like 37 counties. Um, it's just some of the most important work. When we talk about rehumanizing and dehumanizing, Um, there's nothing more dehumanizing to another human being than not knowing where their next meal is going to come from. And so I appreciate the work that uh, Feeding West Michigan does. And uh, I would love for you to support them on my behalf. And I'm very proud and appreciative um, that that's something that you all do. I think it's a great thing. Well, thank you. Absolutely. Uh, We're honored to be able to do it. We appreciate that. Um, the, the link will be in the show notes as well for anybody else who wants to donate. It's www.feedwm.org. Um, and I, I'm familiar with the organization. And they say right on their website, over 290,000 families are food insecure just in Western Michigan and the Upper Peninsula alone. So if you can imagine almost 300,000 families in just West Michigan and, and the UP, what it's like across the United States. So um, these kinds of, of, of charities and making these kinds of donations are super, super important. Um, if, if you have the resources, obviously, to, uh, they go to a good, good cause. So we appreciate that. Appreciate you. Thank you so much for taking the time, Ethan. And I will look forward to uh, the next opportunity to speak with you. Thank you. Me too. I appreciate it. And uh, I enjoyed it very much. Thanks, Ethan.